Hi, this is Bob McElligot, and thanks for listening to this Blue Jackets podcast. Well, with baseball season in full swing, Blue Jackets television play-by-play voice Jeff Rimmer had a chance to catch up with one of the best baseball players of all time, Cal Ripken Jr. Here's that conversation. Hi again, Blue Jacket fans. I'm Jeff Rimmer, and welcome to On the Call, presented by Byers. It is really a treat today as we visit with Hall of Famer Cal Ripken Jr. And Cal, it's been far, far too long. Thank you so much uh, for your time here today. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been too long, Jeff. I'm uh, I'm glad we could get together. Now, for you at, at these times of, of COVID, uh, how are you? How's your family? And uh, how are you coping with the situation? Well, um, like everybody else, I guess, uh, trying to do their best. Uh, I don't know if you heard or not, but um, at the beginning of COVID, I had a bout with prostate cancer. And uh, I was diagnosed uh, right when hospitals were starting to prepare for um, um, uh, um, more people coming in from COVID. And they were talking about, uh, what is it called? Uh, um, Surgeries that you could put off. And my surgery might've been, you know, in that category, but so right beforehand, um, I told the doctor, I said, when, when can I get in to do it? And, uh, he said, uh, how about Friday when it was on a Tuesday and I went in and had it done and I was in and out. And so that's how my COVID experience started, uh, the scare of cancer. And, uh, but, um, I got the, uh, prostate out. It was all contained in the, uh, prostate. I'm cancer free. And now I'm doing what Joe Torrey did, um, trying to spread the word a little bit, encourage other people to go get their, uh, their PSA test done, their blood work done, get their annual physicals. Cause if you get that word from your doctor that you have prostate cancer, the next word you want to get out of his mouth is, but we caught it early. Because when you catch it early, you have great options. And, and, and I'm exactly the same way as I was before. Oh, that's just terrific. Cal, uh, obviously, when people talk about Cal Ripken Jr., they talk about the consecutive game streak, a record that I certainly believe will never be broken. As you look back, and, and you've had some time to reflect back on it, how... How much does that mean to you playing 21 seasons in the big leagues (laughs) and playing uh, 2,632 games consecutively, a record that'll never be broken? It it, it seems not feasible in the seat that I'm sitting in now, but when I was doing it and back in the day, um, um, I would be answering questions. How do you want to be remembered and all that kind of stuff. And I would push that off and saying, you know, to be remembered at all is good. Let's just wait until, uh, to when I'm in my rocking chair and thinking about it. So now I'm closer to my rocking chair, sitting out <laughs> on my porch, um, thinking back. It was the 25th anniversary of the streak this past year during COVID. And Major League Baseball was playing uh, a nice little celebration, a reminder. And I was kind of getting excited about uh, thinking back to the, uh, the day, 1995, when I uh, passed through Gehrig's uh, streak, the lap around the ballpark. It was a really a feel-good. And the, the best part about the feel-good is how people related to showing up and working every day. And so everybody would share their streaks with me, which I thought was a really cool thing. Uh, I had a chance to talk to the fans and people related to that. And, and we were coming off the strike and we were coming off the cancellation of the World Series and we had a lockout going into spring training. So we had a shortened season. So I think people were looking for something good to kind of attach themselves to. And the streak was, uh, was uh, almost a connection to when the game was a sport and not necessarily a big form of entertainment as it's uh, grown into. So I just remember all the people sharing their streaks with me. I haven't missed a day of school, haven't missed a day in uh, work in 31 years. 
Ernie Tyler. Remember Ernie Tyler? Yes. His, yes, uh, yes. his streak of home games where he hadn't missed one in 30, 30 some years. And do you remember how he broke his streak? He no, went I... to the he went to the Hall of Fame I induction in two thousand and seven, and that ended his streak at, wow. uh, of all those games. And and what an honor that was. So. It's fun to, to think about it. It seems inconceivable in some senses. I mean, I was just an everyday player wanting to be in there and, and play. And dad, um, my dad, of course, as you knew him, his definition of an everyday player was virtually every day because the pennant could boil down to one game. The playoffs could boil down to one game. It could be decided in April, May, June, July, August, whenever. So you were, you were taught to meet the challenges of that particular day. And so looking back, I don't know how I did it. Um, I was stubborn, I guess. I was, uh, I was resilient. Um, I always thought that I had a, if I had an injury, that there would be some silver lining in there that it would, it would help my swing. It would help my, uh, my focus. And I was able to push through and, and get it done. But uh, in some ways, it seems, it seems almost impossible when I look back on it. Now, of course, uh, no problem for you. 431 career home runs, over 1,700 RBIs. So, and playing defensively as uh, arguably the, one of the top shortstops in the history of the game. In fact, you were named that over the last hundred years in Major League Baseball. So it wasn't strictly playing the games, but making contributions, winning a World Series in 1983. Those are fond memories for me, for sure. Yeah, the, uh, to me, um, I am very proud of the success I had at shortstop. You know, I was moved over. Uh, it was, there wasn't an expectation that I would be a good shortstop. It would be someone that would uh, fill the temporary gap from, uh, from our offense. We needed to bolster the offense. So Earl decided he was going to push me over there. And uh, my success at the position, that temporary move, by the way, Jeff, lasted 15 straight years. But uh, when I went over there, I took pride in the position. I looked at other shortstops and figured, okay, I can't make a play like Ozzie Smith can make a play. I can't make it like Alan Trammell. But let me figure out how I can make that slow hit, the slow hit ball in the hole. Let me use my skills to make all the plays. And I will tell you, one of the prouder things looking back is I think there were two shortstops in the history of baseball that had over 900 chances in a year. Ozzie Smith did it twice. I did it once. Wow. So, uh, so I'm very proud of the success I had and maybe even changing the mindset a little bit about who to consider at shortstop, uh, you know, uh, past, past my time. I don't want to make this about me, but I got a personal memory about the streak for you as well. And I don't know if you'll remember this. But uh, I left, of course, uh, uh, Baltimore to go to Florida to do the Florida Panther uh, hockey games in, the, in 1994. And just before you broke the streak, I was doing the postgame show one night and I was taking calls. And I got this call from this belligerent person about a quarter to midnight. You were driving <laughs> home to Aberdeen. And this guy said, you're just an apologist for the Ripken family. First, it was Cal Sr., then it was Billy, and, and now Cal, and yada, yada, yada. Why don't you change your name from Jeff Rimmer to Jeff Ripken? And I remember <laughs> after that, you handed me a bat to Jeff Ripken Rimmer, my long-lost brother. That bat will sit in my home proudly forever. You know, that brings up an interesting point. Yeah, I, I certainly remember that, and I appreciate all the support uh, at the time. But it makes me wonder... You know, during that time frame, there was a controversial nature of the streak, right? Um, especially when we're rebuilding or especially when I was in a slump where I would take on a lot of criticism. Matter of fact, um, journalists made their name um, taken on the uh, streak and actually writing bad things. And I often thought, why did I have to defend myself for wanting to play? You know, it seemed like the people that took days off or, or dodged Randy Johnson or did something else 
you know, that, that uh, looked out for themselves individually, they would have to defend themselves. So I never understood that. Luckily enough, I was stubborn enough to fix my hitting fi and maybe fix the slump that we were in. And then all that stuff would go away. But certainly it was nasty at, at times. And I never really understood that. Well, uh, it's funny because I was talking the other day to uh, Ken Rosenthal, who you know well, and boy, has he made a career for himself after starting uh, as a writer at the Baltimore Sun. And I said, I'm going to catch up and have a nice visit with Cal. He said, of course you will. Of course you will. Jeff Ripken. So he brought up the Jeff Ripken thing as well. And well, he, he, didn't have, he, he didn't have a reputation for having the last name Ripken. <laughs> no, that's for sure. <laughs> Well, I mean, anyway. it was interesting. He, he was one of the guys that I, I could never understand it, how you flip flop. You know, it was the worst thing in the world at one moment, and then it was the best thing in the world when we got close to it. So but that's that, all those that, guys. We yeah, had Richard Justice, had Richard Justice there, uh, of course, uh, Ken Rosenthal, and there was one other writer who, of course, went on to work at ESPN. I mean, we have great uh, writers in Baltimore, and writers, be they in hockey or, or whatever, they're going to flip flop. They're going to be with you when you win, and of course, they'll criticize when you lose. Mm -hmm. That's never going to. Well, yeah, part. that's the nature of it, and and that's why uh, my advice to uh, to professional players is don't get caught up in reading the paper. Don't read uh, the, the headlines how great you are, and don't read read the headlines or the story that says how bad you are. You know, the best way to go about it is you know you know the reality of what happens on the field. You know, keep that as your perspective. Don't don't allow your perspective or your focus to be pulled in different directions. Now, growing up in Maryland and then playing for the Orioles, as we mentioned, 21 seasons, do you think it was more difficult playing in your home area? And I ask that question because at the Blue Jackets, we have uh, our uh, vice president of communications and his nephew, his uh, sister's son is Evan White, who, of course, is mm -hmm. now playing for Seattle. We've got two teams here in Ohio, uh, the Reds and, and the Indians, as, as you know. And yet Evan is playing, and, and he is the first rookie first baseman to win a gold glove. You think it, uh, if, as you look back, had you played somewhere else, things might have been different? No, I don't know. I mean, uh, it, 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 at first, it was a little nerve-wracking. To uh, It felt like you had more obligations being at home, that people wanted to see you, you were uh, – they wanted to come to the games and, and all that. You hear the stories or I witness the stories when somebody else goes to uh, say they're from California and when they go to California, then their, their pass list has grown and they're asking for everybody else's tickets so they can bring their, their family and everybody else in. That was a sort of a normal occurrence for me is that when you live there, but um, I wouldn't have it any other way. I mean, you do have to settle in. It, it made you feel a little nervous, but sometimes it made you feel like you were trying harder at home you know, to, to make everybody happy. But once you settle into your, um, your role, your job, you know, what you do, um, it's the best thing in the world to play, play at home. I mean, uh, I had the ability to control my career a little bit. I mean, even though we went through some terrible rebuilding um, years, I negotiated early in my contracts. Generally, I never filed for free agency. Um, I, even after they fired my dad, I think if I had to make that decision in the first three months, I would have left. I was a free agent at the end of that year. But the more I thought about it, the stability it gave you at home, the comfort it gave you at home. Um, and, and baseball, you're, you're always, and maybe it was because I grew up with my dad as a minor league manager for 14 years, and he was gone all the time. And it was uh, difficult on the family, and it was unstable at times. Um, so I was looking for some stability that I could control. And uh, even though we went through the rebuilding process, the only regret I have, I wish that 
my career um, would, would mirror uh, Jeter's or uh, Chipper Jones, where a bad year for those two ball clubs at that time would be losing in the first round of the playoffs. <laughs> they, won, they won World Series. They, uh, Chipper Jones, they won 14 titles in a row. It's easy and fun to play on a winner. It's not so easy and fun when you go through a rebuilding process and, uh, and uh, you're the laughing stock of the league at many times and you're trying to hold your pride and trying to do things the right thing, the right way. But, you know, those were lessons that I could take on after my, my career's over um, because you learn more, I think, sometimes in the bad. You learn more from the 0-21s than, uh, than, than winning the World Series sometimes. So I think as a, as a growth and as a person, all those experiences uh, helped shape me, but uh, I wouldn't want it any other way. I, would, I wouldn't want to play in Baltimore my whole career. No, uh, for me, and, and I don't think he gets enough credit, but your dad, Cal Ripken mm -hmm. Sr., uh, I have just so much respect for him, and uh, I, I'm proud to say that I knew him, and uh, he had a lot of the credit, and rightfully so, of presenting the Oriole way, and I know mm -hmm. he's had a tremendous influence on you, uh, not only as a ball player, but as a person, and uh, it, it's too bad because the Oriole way is no longer, and uh, Cal Sr. was certainly responsible for that and those winning well, games. We, we live, uh, we extend his legacy of uh, doing things the right way, you know, in the form of Ripken baseball, where we, we, uh, we have camps and teach, uh, teach kids how to play baseball, but we also uh, have our tournaments. And so I think the biggest compliment that dad could, could have received was the Oriole way used to be the Oriole way. And once it started to change, when there was an influx of uh, other organizations, other people from other organizations coming into our organization and changing things, then it evolved into the Ripken way. And so really the Ripken way and the Oriole way was very synonymous. And dad took a great deal of pride of being one of those people that helped build the greatest organization in baseball. Now, at the time, I think the Dodgers and the Orioles were considered, you know, I remember dad um, speaking in spring training when I was a little kid. He allowed me to come when he addressed the whole uh, minor league uh, camp. And he would say, welcome to the greatest organization in baseball. He said, if you make it through our organization, you'll play in the big leagues. It might not be with the Orioles, but you'll play in the big leagues. And they had this, this uh, system that would push people through and they could only play one first baseman or one shortstop. And if you had two shortstops in, you had to trade them and you, and you did all that kind of stuff, but they made quick decisions. And the, the league, the big leagues were, were, were uh, peppered with all kinds of guys that came through our system. And our system was uh, pulled for managers and uh, for the big leagues and all over the place. Uh, so we were known as a baseball organization. Now to see that die and to see that go away, you know, it, it was hurtful, but one of the big um, compliments that dad received was all of a sudden that Oriole way turned into the Ripken way. And we right. still live by those standards and uh, how we try to run our kids' business. And, and by and large, we always ask ourselves, what, what would dad do? What would be the right way to do this? Absolutely. Uh, Cal Ripken Jr. has expressed some interest in the past about baseball ownership. That would be terrific not only for you, but it would be great for baseball. Would you still like to uh, perhaps entertain an offer like that or a possibility? You know, I was so gung-ho when I got out of the game. I mean, I made a quick decision. I got out and said, okay, um, I want to control my schedule. I don't want to uh, have the baseball control me. At the time, my kids were 8 and 12. And the most important thing was to get them, you know, to be there for them during those years. And then you start to think, okay, now that, uh, you know, they're off and out in the college – um, if, if there was an opportunity to come back and impact the Orioles in, in a different way, not necessarily playing on the field, but 
maybe using some of your knowledge uh, from that you learned from dad about uh, development, development in the minor leagues, scouting philosophies and those sorts of things, or even just situational baseball, which I think has gone by the wayside in many ways, is to understand how the game is played and, and execute at a higher level. Um, I get, my juices get flowing when I think about those things. So I'm 60 now. I just had a bout with cancer. Um, uh, my, my philosophy about life is a little different. You know, there's an urgency that uh, you, you, you really are thankful for each and every day. You know, it's because uh, you, you can kind of see the end. But if there was an opportunity still to do something with the Orioles, and maybe it wouldn't be at the level that I was thinking about early on, maybe it would be just to have the, uh, an opportunity to, uh, 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 to make a difference that way. I, th I think I'd, I would be up for that. That'd be great for uh, baseball and, and certainly uh, outstanding uh, for the Orioles in the city of Baltimore. We've got to turn our attention to hockey. As you know, uh, I'm the voice of, uh, for 17 years now, I've been here for 17 years, uh, the voice of the Columbus Blue Jackets, but uh, Cal and Billy Ripken uh, lived in Aberdeen, Maryland, uh, in the <laughs> northern part of the state. And you were in the Philadelphia Flyers television territory. So Billy would uh, go out of his way when I was with the Capitals to talk about the Flyers and the Capitals. Do you still pay attention uh, to hockey? And uh, I understand you actually spent some time with the Capitals a few years back. Yeah, the uh, Capitals have been so good for so long and uh, got a chance to know Ovechkin a little bit. Um, I went down uh, and talked with the team and it really wasn't a speaker in. Like sometimes you, you perceive that to be um, you come into the clubhouse and a speaker is talking about, you know, uh, how, how the success in your sport, um, what are the small things that matter so that you can apply it to, to them. I, I told uh, Barry at the time, I said, I'll come in. Um, I said, but I don't want to speak to the players. I want to speak with the players. So we uh, sat in a room and we asked questions back and forth. Um, they were particularly interested about uh, retaliation in baseball. And I was particularly interested in, uh, in retaliation and hockey. <laughs> so that conversation, uh, you know, turned to, do, do, does the manager ever take responsibility and say, okay, that player is doing something uh, wrong to us. Let's go, let's go, go after him. And uh, I remember, uh, so I said, uh, I would prefer in my sport that the manager took full responsibility. Every time things, if, when people take it into their own hands, usually it ends poorly. But if there's a message to be sent, it should be sent from the manager. And uh, so I looked at Barry and I said, uh, I said, have you ever told anybody to uh, go get that player? And he goes, no. And, uh, and Wilson uh, said, well, what about uh, this time? And he goes, oh, yeah, I did do that. He goes, and what about that time? He goes, yeah, he goes, he looks back and he goes, I guess I do. And it was kind of funny, but um, they were, they were uh, a talented group of uh, uh, kids. It's kind of funny now when I go in the locker room and I look at them, they seem so young to me, but they're big, they're strong, they're fast, um, and they really – I really enjoyed the, uh, the, the year they won it all. And uh, the celebration in and around Maryland, you know, they, they took the cup everywhere. Uh, I live in Annapolis now and they took it, the cup right to Annapolis where I could see it going by, which was, uh, which was really fun. So the Philadelphia uh, Flyers, we were Flyers fans because the TV, we, had, we were 70 miles from Philadelphia and we were 30 miles from Baltimore. But the first cable that came in for us was uh, Philadelphia's cable. And we had the Phillies, you know, and, and the Orioles weren't on TV that much. And, uh, you know, we didn't get a chance to watch, but the Phillies were on, the Sixers were on, and the Flyers were on. And the Flyers, the big bad Flyers were, uh, were an interesting team to watch nonetheless. Uh, I, I uh, emulated my little street hockey game after Reggie Leach. 
Um, Billy was Bobby Clark, I think. And, uh, you know, it, it, it kind of says a little bit about the personalities that, uh, that we both had. But we knew uh, every one of the players uh, on, the, on the Flyers, and we watched them religiously. And uh, I wish that uh, – I love playing hockey. I love – we did floor hockey, you know, in my gym, you know, in the offseason. Um, we, uh, and, uh, we did it in the Memorial Stadium when we had no facility. We had a bat and a couple balls, and then we bought some sticks, and we did it in the clubhouse for a while. I wish that I could skate, you know, uh, I, I could skate a little bit and I won't fall down, but I wish that I could move on skates the way that, uh, the way they do that make the game a whole lot more fun. If you're a hockey player, what position would you have played? Well, I, I, my favorite, uh, Phil Esposito was one of my favorite players growing up. I mean, he, he, uh, he was a goal scorer at the time. I think he 76 goals, 76 assists, uh, in one year. And he would sit in front of the net and they wouldn't move him out of there. And he would, uh, he would, he would get his opportunities that way. So I think I'd want to be on the offensive side, but in hockey, um, I don't, uh, you, you do interchange and you do play defense and offense at the same time. So I think if I was a defender, um, maybe I would sneak up there in the offense uh, um, a little bit more. I try to have a bigger impact in soccer. I was a center half, which gave me the opportunity to, to play offense and play defense at the same time. So who knows? Maybe I would have figured out a way to do that in hockey. Listen, Cal, I, I can't thank you enough for the visit here today. It's great to catch up. Uh, I'm glad you've uh, uh, come back uh, from your bout with cancer. I'm glad you're speaking on that behalf. You do so much work, uh, not only on the baseball side with kids, but the uh, Cal Ripken uh, Foundation. Uh, a, a quick word about that just before. Yeah. You so when dad died, we lost him at 63. I mean, it was lung cancer. And I think people are naturally thinking that we would do something in the form of uh, lung cancer to, uh, to, to help find a cure. And we do, uh, you know, do that. But we wanted to focus on what dad's legacy was. And dad's legacy to us was uh, how, he, how he benefited and impacted kids. And he did that through his normal job in the minor leagues to try to help kids get to the big leagues. And there was a diverse group of people that came in to play big league ball. And he was a dad to many of those. And he also did clinics to areas around uh, each city he was in to kids that didn't have all the same advantages. And he would use baseball to help steer them in the right direction. So that's simply what we did in our foundation. And our foundation has grown to virtually being in every state. I think we might not be in Hawaii. We're in, we might not be in Alaska, but we're in every other one. And last year we helped uh, 1.5 million kids. We built over a hundred youth development parks, which what we call them YDPs, but essentially um, they're built in many cases like a baseball field, but they're an outdoor classroom. And it's a chance for uh, kids to, to have a safe place to, uh, uh, to, to practice anything they want. Because um, we found out when we started doing our programming in certain parts of, uh, of the city, they didn't have a safe place in which to do those programs. So um, we started to fill that gap. And now I think we'll be known more for building fields than some of our programming. But uh, it's been wonderful what, the impact we've, we've been able to have and the longer we're doing this, we're going to celebrate our 20th year, you know, uh, this, this, this year coming up. We've raised a heck of a lot of money. Um, we've built a lot of really cool things. Um, we've helped a lot of kids. So uh, we couldn't be more proud in the name of Cal Ripken Sr. To, uh, to have our foundation. Outstanding. Again, thank you so much uh, for the visit and uh, continued great health and uh, stay safe, please. Okay. Thank you, Jeff. You've been listening to On the Call with Jeff Rimmer, and Jeff's guest today was Baseball Hall of Famer Cal Ripken Jr. Make sure to get all of your favorite Blue Jackets podcasts by going to wherever you get your podcasts and subscribing to CBJ Radio. While you're there, give us a rating and a comment as well. 
I'm Bob McElligot, and thanks for listening.